0: Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Friday evening, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at bottomguncoffee.com. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to mention my latest leadership book. It's called You Have the Watch, and it's available for sale On my website or on Amazon. I am really excited about this new book because it's not actually a book, it's a guided journal for leaders to take you through an entire year of leadership training. There are 50 themes in the book, and each day you will reflect on a different facet of that theme. This journal is designed to be on your desk at work for you to read and reflect on for about 15 minutes each morning. Leadership skills are just like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them, and this journal helps you practice those skills. If you're interested in this guided journal, go to youhavethewatch.com or Amazon and pick up your copy today. Now, if you're looking to for other ways to support what I do on this show, purchase any one of my books at johnsrenny.com and podcast listeners always can use the discount code DEEP at checkout to get additional savings. Well, that is it today. My guest is Bradley Jones. Bradley is a retired Army command sergeant major who spent more than 30 years serving all over the world, including a tour in Afghanistan. He is the author of a new book called Treading the Deep, where he shares the leadership lessons he's learned throughout his entire life. I am honored to have Bradley on the show this week, and I know you're going to love this interview. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by retired Command Sergeant Major Bradley Jones. Brad spent more than 30 years in the Army serving all over the world, including a tour in Afghanistan. He's the author of a new book called Treading the Deep, where he shares life and leadership lessons from his time in the military. I am honored to have him on the show to talk about this book and to talk about his story. So, Brad, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, John, for having me here. Um... Uh, grateful to be here. Yeah, I'm. I'm really excited to have you on the show, and thank you for your long service. And uh, I really want to get into it and some of the lessons you learned. But, but uh, remarkable time you spent. How long in total did you spend in the military?
1: Um, there was um, my active duty time from '84 to '88. Then I had a, a three-year break in service. Joined the guard in '93, and then served all the way till 2020. Wow. Um, basically, so it, I mean, um, I was still kind of in the inactive reserve, right. I guess, between between service break and so uh,
0: it's over thirty years. Wow. Wow, fantastic. I mean, uh, we were talking before we started the the podcast, I was in for five. And uh, (laughs) so I don't think it even counts when you're five compared to 30. So but uh, I really I I really appreciate your long service. And and that's what I want to start off talking about is like, why uh, did you join the military in the first place? So what what caused you to go down to your recruiter's office and say, you know what, I'm going to join the army of all things?
1: Well, uh, my best friend, uh, in my senior year in high school, uh, his name was Paul. He joined and was on the delayed entry program. And so, um, I grad, we graduated together and then uh, during that summer, um, I was with him and he said, Hey, I need to stop by the recruiting office and he was getting ready to ship out. And so, you, you know, asked if I wanted to go and I said, sure okay that's fine so i basically went in and of course recruiters being recruiters they you know asked if i had ever thought about it and i was like no not really and and then they said well why don't you just pre- take a practice as exam and so i did and i scored really well on it and they said you know what there's really no jobs that um are unavailable to you so um i ended up sitting down with the recruiter and looking at several fields and i Want, knew I didn't want to be infantry and wanted to do something in the technical environment and uh, so they um, sat me down in front of a computer and showed me a bunch of different positions I suddenly at that moment uh, remembered that I loved to go down by the Portland uh, International Airport and watch planes land and so um, I thought you know it, something in, on you know an airfield would be Um, would really interest me, and they came up with radar repairmen, um, and so I said, you get me that job, and I'll I'll enlist, and the rest is history.
0: Wow, so it's interesting, your story, you know, I've talked to a lot of veterans, and some will tell me that they dreamed from, like, the time they were a kid that they wanted to be in the military, and others will say just the same story you just said, a buddy of mine joined up, and I just went to the request, <laughs> almost the same story I just showed up and then they said hey take the test and next thing you know you're signing up so, so for, for you it wasn't something that you wanted to do you know your whole life it was sort of hey what am I going to do with my life next my buddy's joining the uh, the army might as well try it well i mean the thing was that at that time in my life i
1: was d- done with school and i just thought you know what i really want to just train to do something and then do that job i I wasn't interested in going on to college um, and one, I didn't have the money. And so uh-huh. I knew that that really wasn't an option. So, you know, looking over jobs in the military, I thought I can get trained and I can, then I can go do that job. And that's, I think what, you know, what really spoke to me the most.
0: So you were active duty as doing radar repairs, but then you, you left and then you joined up, in the guard canoeing something completely different is that right well no um
1: a little bit of the reverse
0: i okay trained as a radar
1: repairman Ah, and then um i went and uh got stationed in Fort huachuca arizona and after being in a training status for uh i ended up being in school for a year for 52 weeks Original MOS was only 22, but it ended up being 52 weeks with delays and and other things. And so when I got out to Fort Huachuca and got to my section, first thing I noticed was was it wasn't near the airfield. And <laughs> I said, "Well, where are the radars?" And they said, "Oh, uh, well, you're not going to work on radars." And you know that was a hard pill to swallow because I'd been training for so long, and I and anyways, I ended up being uh, sent to the electronic proving ground and that turned out to be a, a, just a, a very unique assignment and um, and so I had to kind of shift gears and go okay well I guess this is this is kind of what I need to focus on and this is my future is to do the job that they're asking me to do
0: yeah, that's an interesting, you've got that in the story, the stories in the book. And I love that you, you train for a year to do one job, you get there and you're like, they don't give you that job. And you were you you were you were like, going to complain about it, or you did complain about it. And um, I love the chapter It's called lead by example. Uh, tell us about the the uh, I can't remember if it was a what his rank was, but the, kind master of the senior sergeant. master sergeant, okay, the, yeah. the master sergeant And you tell us a little about that story, because I love that story where, um, you know, you're challenging, you know, you're nervous, you're young, and you're challenging this guy. And he's like, you know, he, he just seemed like a, like a really good leader. So I wanted to hear a little bit of that story. Uh, his name was Master Sergeant Jack Crumling. And, um,
1: you know, I I felt at least uh, that I needed to say something and and at least express some of my, my frustration of it about you know training for so long and then having to you know basically switch gears completely and so I went into his office and said can I talk to you and sat down and just you know kind of took uh took a risk to express how I felt the frustration I felt of not being able to work on radars and and being asked to do this completely different job and he um I knew going in like you know, he could react a number of different ways. Um, and, you know, obviously a few of them not not positive where he could just tell me, you know, hey, you know, quit, quit whining and, and just do what the Army's asked you to do. You're in the Army. Um, but he didn't. He listened to me and then um, he he said, hey, if you want to go down to the radar lab, let's go. And so we went down and um, met the guy that I was told I was going to work for. Um, when I was back in school and um, they were, the airfield had been switched over to contractor, um, maintenance. And so all the people that were my MOS were all waiting for orders to go somewhere else. And, and so that guy at least could, could see, um, you know, my, the look on my face and said, you know what, yeah, if you're working for Jack. He's going to take care of you. You're going to do a really cool job, and um, and basically encourage me to you know to um, go that direction. And so um, and then at that point, Jack, you know, talked to me and came out. Uh, we, we ended up driving around to a couple different sites on the base, and he sh- showed me night vision goggles. That was be- you know those were being tested, which that was mind blowing at the time. Um, and, uh, UAVs, unmanned aerial vehicles, was, they were being tested. Um, and then, you know, once we went to a couple of those places and Jack at some point just said, are you on the team? And I said, <laughs> Absol- absolutely.
0: I love so that we, s- story because he didn't need to do that. Right. He could have just said, suck it up buttercup you're you're in my you're you're in my group now uh i don't care what kind of training you had you're going to do what i tell you now but he didn't do that in fact he even took you over he drove you over to the radar area and Uh, for you to learn that there was nothing to do in that field and then instead like you got this really cool job a really unique job in the army and uh, i just love the way he just because of his rank, he could have done anything he wanted to you, but he didn't. Absolutely, he took you under his wing, and I think that I see that speaks a lot to like new employees when they come to a company, right? A lot of times we throw them in a cubicle, put them in the corner, and we give them some menial task. And and you know when they say, "Well, I don't, I don't really understand you," like just do your job, you know. When and, and 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 he he could have done that, he didn't. I love that story in the book because I think it gives an example of how we should be leading our people, you know, to listen to them, to care and, and to, uh, it's not about rank. It's about, and and I think I would imagine your loyalty to him was very, it was like, well, like off the charts because oh, the way he treated you. Absolutely. Um his you know, his stock
1: just shot way up. And <laughs> I thought this guy I can trust, you know, and yeah. we, you know, they're, several chapters written about our relationship and you know what he meant to me and stuff. And, uh, you know, the um I didn't really recognize until probably a number of year later years later the impact, just the, the magnitude of what you know, his his impact on me and and how he treated me. And so, you know, as like as I became a leader and moved up in the ranks and stuff, you know, I think one of the things that that um spoke to me the most about how he handled the situation was um you know he cared about what i thought but then also he 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 painted the picture for me and when when soldiers know or or, or when service members know um you know the why's and the wherefores and stuff i mean obviously there's a time where you don't have time for that but for the most part when they know the why's and the wherefores then they are motivated um, and they you know can see the purpose in it and and it it helps them um, in in integrating in into the team and and um, working towards a common goal
0: yeah i like that a lot i mean it's really true people want to do worthwhile work they want to know their work matters and so we have to bring them in on the vision right we have to show them the bigger picture and how their their role fits into the big picture and and great leaders do that they you know, they take you alongside and they say, here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing. And uh, do you want to be part, do you want to be, I love that. Do you want to be part of my team? You're like, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Why would I not? This sounds awesome. So, um, so when did you, I mean, when it, you know, you, again, your story, you started in the military sort of because you're a buddy did. And then, um, so at what point in your career did you say, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to make a career out of this. I'm going to do 20 years and eventually 30 years. At what point, what was the, was there any defining moment that said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I love this so much that I'm going to stay in. Um, w-
1: when you have a break in service and, you know, I, I had a break in service after my four year enlistment, y- you know, it just never left my system.
0: It mm-hmm.
1: seemed like, you know, I I went to South America and served as a missionary and it, you know, my military service absolutely, you know, um, created the trajectory that those two years in South America followed, um, and so you know, amongst the missionaries, uh, it was like you know, oh, he's he's that that dude that did four years in the army, and yeah. um, and so you know, it kind of separated me from from regular um, everyday missionaries. Um, but when I came back, it just it, it was something like. I couldn't. I couldn't say everywhere I went. It seemed like I I ran into somebody and and talked to him about the military and and so you know when my wife and I my first wife uh, and I were were newlyweds or or had been married a few months. Um, I said I I want to go down and um, join the guard. Um, I was already drawing uh, you know uh, the veterans education assistance program for my studies. And joining the guard helped, you know, to create another income source uh, for each month, uh, and then obviously two weeks in the in the summer. Um, so I went down, and um, you know, the recruiter said, you know, oh, we have several units here. We have an aviation unit that has Apaches, and I just said, we don't need to go any farther than that.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's wild. Uh, yeah, the Apache helicopter is a wild piece of equipment. Oh yeah, yeah. It's kind of hard not to say no. I uh, say yes to that. So yeah, <laughs> and uh, so it's interesting. So were you with Apaches the whole time,
1: uh, or at least yeah? Okay, the rest the rest of that the rest of my career um, was, was spent uh, working on Apache helicopters. I I uh, joined the unit and then shortly thereafter um, went out to Virginia uh, to Newport news and to Fort Eustis and, um, reclassed as a, um, a armament uh, specialist on the Apache and, uh, um, you know, came back from that and then, um, was just a regular, you know, I was a college student, you know, one weekend a month and two weeks in the summer. And then they offered me a full-time position to work on them full time. And, uh, so I jumped at the chance to, you know, work on, um, a 20 million dollar helicopter and and so I worked for them uh for 8 years and then um you know right away um I was asked to be to take leadership positions um because I they gave me my I, I am E5 when I was in the regular army and then they gave me my E5 back uh, in the guard and so um you know that uh um that those experiences um I was asked to be a squad leader and stuff. So that it kind of started back then. And, and then, you know, it just, it, it, working for him, you have to be in the unit. So, mm. um, you know, the next eight years kind of spelled out uh, at least that career path. And then I uh, shifted gears again and went over to the federal aviation administration. And because I was a radar repairman early in the army, or or at least for, I was trained, I never did the job, but I was trained. Um, That got me my position with the FAA later on. But um, when I, at that point, when I told the unit um, that I was leaving full-time employment and going to the FAA, um, of course, their first question is, well, are you, you going to get out? And I said, no, I'm not. And I think that kind of, you know, spoke to them that I, that I was dedicated. I think that point in my life, I realized, um, I have something to offer here and I, you know, and taking the lessons from Jack and other leaders um back early in my career, I was like, I can do this, I can do
0: this. Yeah. When you did, and you stayed doing it <laughs> for a long time. Yep. So. so I want to talk about your book. And uh, for those who are on YouTube, I'm holding the book up right here. The book is called uh, Treading the Deep, Inspirational Lessons on Life and Leadership. So first of all, tell us the title. The, the, what's the significance of the title, Treading the Deep?
1: Um, well, the name came about um, uh, due to a conversation I had with um, my section leaders, I was, uh, I was, uh, right before we, um, were deployed to Afghanistan, we were, uh, in doing mob training in Fort Hood, Texas. Um, so I had, I was over Delta company, the maintenance company in, in an Apache battalion. And, um, my, one of my, uh, section leaders called me and said, can you believe what so-and-so is doing? You're not going to stand for that. Are you? And I thought, I'm not, no, I'm not doing this. So I texted all my section leaders and said, I want to see you in my office seven o'clock tonight. And of course they all came and stuff and we sat down and I just said, look guys, um, you are one step away from where I'm at. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't know, um, the guy that run the section leader around prop and rotor. I said, I don't know your job. Um, the section leader that, um, Ran aircraft maintenance. I don't know your job. I've never done that job. Uh, the section leader that ran the armament section. I'm like, okay, I know that job. I did that job. But there's production control. There's uh, quality control. Um, there's supply. All those sections. I told them, you know, I depend on you um, to be the subject matter experts, and and my job is to make you successful. And I said, and you guys need to learn how to tread deep water. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you have a problem with, with another leader, don't come to me, you are, you are far enough in your career that you should be able to go to that person and solve it there. If you, if you, you know, try to solve it at that point, you can't find, come to me and I'll give you my guidance on it, but you need to learn how to tread deep water. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it just, it, I don't know how, where I came up with that, but it just <laughs> popped in my head and. And then when, you know, of course, when I, um, I, I had a number of different titles for the book, um, or, or original, you know, working titles. Uh, and when I told the, um, the, you know, my published relations people at, at Morgan James Publishing, when I told them the story, they were like, that's it. That's the title right <laughs> there. That's it. I so.
0: I love it. Well, being this, this is the Deep Leadership Podcast. I do like the title, so <laughs> it fits fits uh, uh, it fits fits our theme very well. So, um, so why did you feel um, compelled to write this book? So, um, you know, you could have had all these great memories and 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 you know went off to your civilian career and and life was good. Uh, why did you In writing a book is difficult. It's time consuming. It takes a lot of effort. Why did you write this book? And what are your hopes for this book? Because it just came out in November. Is that right? Uh, last year. It's
1: it's downloadable on Kindle right now. Okay. Uh, it will it will be in uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, it'll be in all the major bookstores in uh, June 14th is the release date. Ah,
0: OK, so um, I got an early copy of it then. All right. Yeah. You, got,
1: you have an advanced copy.
0: Excellent. Oh, that's great. So um but what what um, so what do you why did you write the book and what are your hopes for the book?
1: Um, when i uh, when when I was um, over in Afghanistan, uh, I got informed that I was being input for the Sergeant Major's Academy. And the funny thing about that is like my sergeant major at the time called me and said, "Come, you know, come over to my office. I want to talk to you." And he said, "We have one slot in aviation." And we're inputting you for the um, Sergeant Major's Academy, the non-resident course. And I and I actually argued with him, and because I was like, I'm too busy, you know. Why can't I do this when I'm when we get back from the deployment? And he just said, you know, shut up, you're you're going. I don't want to hear it. You're going. So I had to start the course material while I was still in a deployed status. And one of the things that you do in that course is you write um, many, uh, personal experience papers, they call them. Um, and so I wrote a a number of personal experience papers. And, um, basically when I, when I finished that course, I had quite a body of work. And Uh so, um, you know, when, when I came back, I was, um, um, I thought I would be a first sergeant for a number of, you know, few more years at least. And, um, all of a sudden circumstances changed. And, and um, I got promoted to command sergeant major uh, over the battalion. And so at that point, um, you know, most leaders have a command philosophy of some sort. So, um, I started to kind of contemplate that, you know, um, w- what, uh, you know, what I wanted to put out and what, you know, my emphasis and stuff, but I have this, you know, body of work. And so, um, that's kind of where the the ball started to roll. And, um, so I started to write, especially some of the experiences I had as a young soldier that are in the book that are absolutely phenomenally embarrassing, but I absolutely, they're hilarious now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I know, I know you're familiar, familiar with that, um, from reading your book uh, some of those things that you just shake your head and you know I I guess I I survived (laughs) we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors one ping only please as I thought John Rennie's new book All in the Same Boat is right over there it's at allinthesameboatbook.com Your orders are to get there now. And remember, be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to ihavethewatch.com and enter the discount code
0: BOSS at checkout. I have a son in the Navy, so he's he's enlisted. He's... He's coming up for E4 here shortly. And uh, so, you know, I told him, I was like, I said, "Well, you're moving ahead of me." I, I only got to O3. He's like, "Well, Dad, O3 is so much higher than uh than, oh, yeah. than E4." I'm like, "No, you don't understand. An, an O1 is is like an E1 when you show up to the you're still nothing and nobody. Even though mm-hmm. even though they try to put you in charge, you're still nobody and it's uh, the bottom,
1: bottom of the totem pole.
0: You're yeah. at the bottom of the totem pole. You got to learn the whole thing and, and you, yep. you know. Having that butter bar gets you nothing. <laughs> in fact, it's the most <laughs> embarrassing it's the most embarrassing rank that any any anyone can have in the military. So <laughs> I wanted to get rid of that thing as quick as possible. <laughs> so
1: well, you should you showed though that you work hard at that stage of the game and that sets the tone for what comes later.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's like that in your your career, your civilian career too. You know, as I talk to people and I talk to a lot of young people, and I was like, you know, you've got to, you've got to earn your oxygen. You've got to, you've got to be valuable and you've got to work hard and you've got to earn that right to move up. Uh you know, and, um, yeah, for me, at least, I didn't want to be that uh, we called them a nub. The people who are unqualified non-useful yeah. bodies. I didn't want to be a non-useful body. so I worked hard to try not to be or to try to be useful. and uh, and it sounds like you just reading what you went through, you did the same thing. you were you were working to add value to be and we all make mistakes in the early part of our careers, but you were working hard to 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 be to be qualified to be able to add value. and I think that's like that's that's really important. One thing I want to ask you, going from this, I mean, it's crazy what you did going from an E1 to E9. That's a significant, um, you you went through the entire rank, all of them. Yep. Um, where in that spectrum did you like, you know, because I mean, we go, you start off as a doer and you, then you become a leader. So you're 100% do as an E1 and you're 100% lead at E9. So w- when did you realize in that spectrum where you were like, Oh, I am a leader now I'm, I'm more of a leader than I am. My technical knowledge isn't as important as my leadership knowledge. Um, you know, when we, I was over
1: in Kuwait when September 11th happened, we were, we were on a r- routine deployment, uh, part of operation Southern watch, um, providing security, uh, around, uh, Kuwait and the border of Kuwait. Um, and uh, of course, when September 11th happened, everything just like changed, um, tremendously. And at that point, uh, I think I really started to feel like, okay, um, I need, I need to step up. And I was, I was leading a shift and another guy that was in charge of the armament section, um, when he was the overall uh, NCOIC of the section or non-commissioned officer in charge and he had to um, he had a family emergency had to return um, back to the states and so my first sergeant uh, called me on the phone and said um hey you know he has to leave and um and so we had we had a we had an e7 and i was an e6 we had an e7 who um, was never part of the armament shop he didn't know our job and and so the first sergeant um said you know well i guess he's in charge and i got off the phone and then i just kind of stopped and i said wait a minute and i called (laughs) him back and i said no he's not in charge i'm in charge yeah and he's you know it was a long pause and he goes you know what you're right you're in charge and so at that point that you know that uh you know those those opportunities to step up and and um you know to take charge and be a leader uh it you know presented itself and and I'm grateful that I you know called him back on the phone and said yeah hey wait yeah. a minute and so um that's that's when it started basically and then you know when um uh, that other leader came back at that point you know we were we just kind of did it he and I as a team um, and, and so, but like I said, it, you know, it, it went from a routine deployment to like a very serious, um, you know, yeah. deployment of very serious tone yeah. to it. So
0: it's 9-11 and you're in the Middle East. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, and, and just, it doesn't matter where I go in the world. Um, I can always say it's, you know, it's, um, not as hot as it was in Kuwait.
0: Yes. Yeah, I have been to Kuwait twice, and it is very hot. So I agree with that. So um, uh, let's see. So one of the things that you, um, so this book is, is interesting. It's not just a leadership book. It's a life book. It's, it's um, one of the things I like about it is you talk about your family quite a bit in the book, and you have had, you have an interesting family experience. Talk about, um, and, and this may be hard to talk about, but I think it'd be interesting for people to hear that you, you do talk about a time where um, you had a real um, what you call a defining moment, a major defining moment in your family and a major change in your family. And it it ended up where you had a big family dynamic shift because of it. Talk about that and how, how did that affect you and your and how you lead both your family and um, and at work? Um, Well, I had, uh,
1: you know, my first wife, um, passed away suddenly in, in the summer of 2003. And so I was 37 years old and, you know, I remember thinking, you know, that that's the kind of thing that happens to somebody in their, I don't know, seventies or eighties, something like that, not 37. And so, um, you know, at that point, you know, I had my, my three children, uh, my son and my two daughters and, um, you know, that, that's a, a really, um, a really difficult thing to go through, especially, you know, worried about my kids and how it was going to affect them and losing their mom. And, um, you know, that was a, a, a really tenuous time. And, um, you know, gratefully I was, um, my wife, one of her good friends, uh, who she was roommates in college with. And, um, she was actually a bridesmaid in our, in our, our wedding back in 1992. Um, and, um, she, she, uh, been married and divorced, uh, and had a daughter and, and, but she and my wife were, were close friends and they did things together. Our kids had birthday parties together and stuff. So, you know, when I called her to tell her that, you know, what had happened to Randy, my first wife, um, you know, she said, I'll, I'll help you, you know, I'll help you out. And, um, and so you know one thing basically kind of um flowed into the next and and um we we were married and um and so we combined our family of uh my three and her uh one daughter or my three kids and her one daughter and um and you know at that point i think it, one of the things that kind of taught me is, is you know we talk when people kind of describe me they say oh, oh he's he has a combined family and which is true. Um, and one day it kind of hit me, well, the military is a combined family, you know, you're always like detaching and then reattaching. Um, you know, you go to a different place and all of a sudden you, you're, um, you know, ushered into a, a new family dynamic. And, um, and so, you know, I was, I think I, I, I mean, I, uh, relied tremendously on the, the, associations I had in the guard when, when my wife passed away, um, you know, I had just come back from a leadership school. I was promotable to E7. Um, and, um, the, the associations I had had in, or had had and have in the military and especially at that time were ex- like, um, monumental, monumentally invaluable to me. Um, and, they were there, they were there for me. And as with, you know, many other people, family members, uh, obviously. Um, but th- there was just, you know, you felt like you had, they, they had your back and they were, they were there for me. I had, um, probably 10 people from my unit show up to my house the day she passed away, you know, later on that day, um, just came to check on me and, and, you know, and so, you know, those, those associations that just, they just don't come every day. And, um, obviously I wasn't expecting something like that to happen at such a young age, but, um, you know, we got through it and, um, got, you know, I married Jen and, and we had two kids of our own. Um, and they're both, they're six, you know, 16 and 15 now. Um, so my oldest is 28, uh, and that's my son, Matt. And then my youngest is Daniel. He's 15. So I have, you know, bookends are boys and then four girls in between.
0: You know, when I read that chapter, of course, you know, I I didn't even, I just, it's it's very emotional to read the chapter. I mean, to be honest, because I put myself in your shoes. I've been married for 30 years, the same woman, same woman I was married to in the military. Um, And I just, like, I can imagine myself being that age and having that happen. And what, you know, I had two boys at the time. And how do you deal with that? And one of the things that stood out in my mind is you just the way you led your children during this time and 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 your wife's family and your family through that and and you it's almost like the leadership training sort of kicked in your your military training kicked in and you you took ownership and you and you made I mean you were going through probably the toughest thing that any man will go through, except maybe losing a child. That might be, that might, it doesn't matter. It, it's one of the toughest thing anyone can go through, but yet the way you, you, you were able to lead everybody through that. I think that was something that stood out when I read that chapter is just standing up, taking, taking the lead. And, um, you know, I know, you know, as leaders, we get these situations where we're dealing with emotional issues ourselves and we sort of have to internalize it for others, you know, and to lead them through this tough time. And um and then we take our times like in the quiet moments at night and deal with our emotions when no one's watching. And I know I, I felt that when I read that part of the chapter.
1: Well the um and one of the things um that you alluded to as you know as a leader is just um especially for for service members that have experienced combat and stuff like that is getting them to talk about it. You know, it's um, I think the military as a whole has done a fairly decent job of of, you know, providing counselors to combat units, you know, to get these soldiers talking about it. And that's um, and that was probably, you know, one of the things that um, that helped in our situation was to, you know, to talk to my kids about it. That And to reassure them, you know, she's she's not gone. She'll always be your mom. You'll see her again someday um and you may even feel her feel her around you uh at different points in your life but that um you know she's we're still a family unit and we'll always be a family unit and so um i think that you know reassured i mean, um, you don't really consider some of those things to come into play um in uh in your life you know until you get to the end of your life at you know 70 80 years old um and and realize the magnitude and and the impact and uh, how valuable family associations uh, relationships are. But, um, I mean, it was something we had to talk about when Mm -hmm. my son was 10, my daughter was eight, my other daughter was four. So, um, you know, uh, those conversations really never end. You're all, one of the things I kind of learned is that you're, you're continuously processing those things, um, those, um, trials, uh, um, in, throughout your life, even later on down the road, um, you're still, you know, in a kind of a state of, uh, processing or reprocessing. So, um, but like I said, you know, as far as it applies to my military career, it's just, it showed me the importance of getting soldiers to talk about their issues. Um, and especially when I became sergeant major, that was, you know, following a combat deployment, and come back and, you know, it takes probably 12 to 18 months before stuff starts to come out of the woodwork. And I am I mean, that was my biggest, I think my biggest emphasis, uh, for my time as the battalion sergeant major was making sure that these soldiers knew the services that their, um, their, um, service in the military, um, you know, the, the services that were available to them and the funny thing is, is that many of them didn't know, you know, they didn't know. And so I took it upon myself as to be become the educator and um, to, you know, be the liaison between, you know, between our our soldiers and and VA and and, um, you know, all the entities that uh, that provide service to the to the military family.
0: Well, that's I mean, and again, that you take those lessons that you've learned in your family and you you applied them to leadership at work and and that's what this book is so great it's you know it's not just a leadership book it's a life book and i think there's a lot of great powerful lessons in here and we we barely scratched the surface of this so the book is and again i'll hold it up for those who are on youtube it's called treading the deep and uh it is available like you said now you can get the kindle version and then in june the book will be available and it'll be um it'll be available at all bookstores is that right as i understand yeah, it
1: yeah. Barnes and Noble, uh, Borders, um, some that I've never even heard of some independent, <laughs> uh, so, um, so, and I'll be, um, I'll, I'll be getting out to, um, mainly Barnes and Nobles and Borders, um, to do book signings and in, in different parts of the country. Um, so I hope to get out and, you know, see people and, and, um, be able to shake hands and, and, you know, kind of connect with people uh, in bookstores.
0: That's great. Well, I'm going to put some links to to the book and where people can get it uh, in the show notes. Uh, and again, this is, a, this is a fantastic book for our listeners. Uh, pick it up, Treading the Deep. Um, you're going to get a lot of life lessons from someone that spent 30 years in the military. Uh, he's had a very interesting life. And I really highly encourage everyone who's listening in to pick this book up and to read about it. Uh, Brad, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your experiences here.
1: John, it's been a pleasure, uh, and I enjoyed your book uh, tremendously. And um, just um, so you know, got it right here.
0: <laughs> yes, All <the>
1: same boat. <laughs> and that's that's not the first book; it's the second book. So um, they're the other book too is that one's a bestseller too. Correct?
0: Yes, yeah, they both end up being uh, Amazon bestsellers. So, but the the first book seems to be selling. I, it sounds like crazy. I don't know why, but I
1: love well, the it. The funny thing the funny thing about your book, your book is that when I wrote the rough drafts of mine, um, there were the leadership chapters, and there, the leadership chapters were written exactly like all in the same boat, where it talked about something that happened to me in the military and then kind of the life lessons from that um that, that followed. And when I started reading, I was like, this is this is exactly how I wrote several of my <laughs> chapters. So Kudos.
0: I think we have some I think I think the military gives you some really interesting experiences. And I think um, it's really neat because you and I are similar ages that you get a chance to, to, to sit back and think about those experiences when you get a little older and say, wow, that one thing changed everything, you know, or that one experience uh, changed everything. And so I think there's a lot of stories in your book like that, where certain decisions, certain things put you in different directions. And, uh, and that's why I love it. It's a fantastic book. So Brad, thank you for being on the show and sharing all of this.
1: John, a pleasure. uh, And thank you for having me on the show. It's been, it's been awesome.
0: Well, thanks again.
1: For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com.
0: Until next time, take care. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back Podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us, from renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back Podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.